Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Sitcom Geeks. We're calling this one Doing It Yourself. And I am James Carey, I'm a sitcom geek, and this is Dave Cohen. Hello. Here's another sitcom geek. I'm sitcom geek too. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> and um, thanks for listening. We are talking today in particular on answering the question, should I make a YouTube video? Which is something that I'm sure we've all asked ourselves at some point or another. Mm. To the point where some of us have even made YouTube videos. That's right, yes. I asked that question and uh, the answer was yes, in fact. Yes. And I did, and we'll talk about that. Yes. Uh, but first, we've got a couple of other things. Uh, we're going to do a 10-page challenge in a moment. But before that, we're just going to talk about comedy news. Mm -hmm. And the bit of comedy news we've picked out is that apparently there is not enough comedy. Uh, Paul Revoir in The Guardian um, talked about this in his um, in Spe a piece... Specifically at the BBC, he's referring to. That's think, right. Yeah. So he's talking about the cutting of hours uh, over the last uh, over twelve months to April twenty fifteen. BBC One's comedy hours dropped by fifty five hours hmm. to one hundred and sixty one. BBC Two's by twenty one hours to two hundred fifty two. BBC Four from eighty five hours to forty nine. This these shocking figures were kind of buried in a quite long uh, article. Um, just the, the sort of general kind of article that you see every now and then in uh, newspapers about uh, oh what's going to be what's happening what's going to be the next hit and oh, we're all worried um and then john lloyd comes along and says something and because john lloyd is totally revered in the world of comedy people say oh john lloyd said that mm. uh and then there's a um somebody who refuses to be named who who will say oh uh, it's all terrible somebody with mouths to feed yes. doesn't want to be identified and get a bad name yeah. whereas john lloyd can say what he likes yeah fair enough and morale is at rock bottom which and and these articles do come along time to time and um james and i we do tend to be a little bit relaxed about them because uh they, you know there's also the uh is this the end for the audience sitcom article which isn't this one uh, to be fair, but, yes. but that's the that's the other one that comes along. But those those figures, uh, I was absolutely uh, sh shocked, really, uh, to see the the figures that are kind of buried in there. And it says twelve months to April twenty fifteen, BBC One's comedy hours dropped by fifty five hours to one hundred and sixty one. That is something like a twenty five percent drop in real in, terms. In real terms, in <laughs> sorry, yeah. I have to add real terms yes, after yes, the word percentage. An area the size of Wales, I would say, possibly <laughs> has been lost. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's nearly fifty percent on BBC Four. I mean, we know we know that they're cutting back uh, comedy on BBC Four anyway. But then even BBC Two, which is said to be oh, this is where all the comedy's going, uh, that had a ten percent drop. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, the only one that showed a, a rise was BBC Three, which of course is no more. Uh, so it was a uh, it was a kind of temporary thing. That, oh right, we'll just shove some kids like we'll shove the comedy that we don't want onto BBC three just before we close BBC three down. Yeah. Uh and I, I worry the BBC's being hung out to dry and there aren't enough people fighting to keep it as a public service. Well that I think that may well be true. Um the thing to add to it is I the the the, the counterbalance is the non BBC comedy options are now probably bigger than they've ever been. Uh, with UK Gold seem uh, fairly determined to make more comedy and stuff on Dave and Sky, obviously Sky are spending mm. uh, uh, big uh, on comedy. So in the grand scheme of things, who knows? Um, I would sort of, it is interesting to me though that I just wrote an article, a blog recently, 
about how whether people worry that there's too much television and I argue that there isn't too much television for a variety of reasons uh, look on the blog but I think there is a case to be said that a lot of television is coming along and it is mostly not comedy mm. so all of the all of the landmark stuff over Christmas for example um, that everyone got very excited about uh, that was Sherlock and that was um, you know War and Peace started and that was uh, and then there were none yeah. both both those written by uh, sitcom writers former I mean. sitcom writers yes. who worked out which the way the wind was blowing yeah, yeah. and uh, I can't say I blame them mm. so um, and ironically the they managed to take Dad's Army which mm. is a comedy and has done and is still the best performing comedy on BBC Two Channel Four and Channel Five combined. And uh, turned it into a drama. Yes. <laughs> so even the comedy they don't leave alone. I wonder if you took out uh, repeat episodes of Dad's Army from that BBC Two figure, whether that, that 10% drop would be more like sort of 15%. That would uh. be very interesting, wouldn't it, mm. to see? Mm. So anyway, is there is there not enough comedy? Who knows? In one sense, you know, 30, 30 years ago, when there were only three or four channels, then there... Mm. There probably was quite a lot of comedy, but there are only three channels, and now it's sprinkled over more. I don't know. I'm sure if someone did the maths, they'd. I'd be very interested to read the article. Yeah. Um, but um, there have been a lot of. I've been watching a, quite a lot of new sitcoms recently. So uh, Channel Four have certainly been making a, a lot. Haven't yeah. They? So yeah. No, that's true. Can't really complain about that. Lots of good sitcom on radio as well. As well, indeed. So, so it could be worse. We could mm-hmm. we could be living in some. We could be living in a country where there is no sitcom. Yeah. Um, and plenty of those... Just about every country in the world apart from Britain <laughs> and America. America yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, that is uh, a little look at a bit of a news story that came up this week. Mm. The next thing is a 10-page challenge, and it is payback time. Yes, that's right. This week's uh, best, uh, challenge is a sitcom called Best Laid Plans. And I've noticed that there is a BBC Radio 4 sitcom called Best Laid Plans. Right. And this isn't it. Not to be confused with the Best Laid Plans that has actually gone out. This, sadly, Best Laid Plans by James Carey, who is sitting next to me now, um, didn't go out. Uh, It was an idea that you had um, a few years, quite a few years ago, wasn't it, really? Yes. uh, Did you want to quickly... explain how oh, it came about or? i honestly can't no i can't remember explaining how it came about i uh when i first moved to london and used to do temp work i worked in an architect's office as a temp and i had another friend who also worked for an architect but he was working on a building site for the architect and he got the sharp end of quite a lot of disputes between architects and builders right. and i thought oh that feels like an interesting show because you sort of need an architect. You sort of need a builder. Yeah, they are. They tend not to be the same sorts of people. Yeah. So I thought, what sort of what would that show be? An audience show, effectively set in a porter cabin on a building site. Yeah. And I think uh, when you mentioned it to me before, you imagined uh, that the uh, two characters would be Hugh Dennis and uh, Ricky Tomlinson as yes. the two main characters. So um, that would be my dream casting. Yeah. So so just to tell you a bit more about this sitcom. It is set in a, well, it's, it's set in a, a porter cabin on a building site, uh, I suppose, really. So the two main characters are uh, Felix, the architect, uh, and Jeff, who is the uh, the gaffer, the builder. Um, so if you've got uh, Hugh Dennis and uh, Ricky Tomlinson in your head, that's already that's already a, a good 
good starting point. Uh, it's good. It's it, it's in the first ten pages. Um, it it sets out everything very clearly. Um, we know we know uh, what Felix is after. Felix wants to build um, something that's going to win him lots of awards, uh, and it's quite clear that Jeff wants something built. Uh, that can be done with the minimum amount of fuss and work probably as well and uh, the easiest um, job and so uh, you have this immediate conflict you also have very it's very much like a uh, a class conflict very much like the sort of staple of the great british sitcoms the great class sitcoms like hancock steptoe and son blackadder so um it has all it has all of that as well so that's great in those first 10 pages i've got a slight logic problem oh can i interrupt i need to say if you're listening you can get hold of these 10 pages if you go to our facebook page uh, sitcom geeks podcast or sitcom geeks look for that there'll be a link there and you can download these first 10 pages and make your own, make up your own mind yeah okay so um but my first logic problem slightly is that um the architects probably spend some of the time uh there they probably spend a lot less time uh in these um porter cabins with the builders than uh you would want them to be in this uh sitcom where they're kind of these two people in a confined space uh, okay. rubbing up against each other the whole yeah. time so um that's not sort of minor a plausibility point. issue slight plausibility yeah. issue there uh but the story it's a good it's a good clear story it's very well set up they've they've just started work or actually they just sort of they start work about sort of three pages in and then they stop about three and a half pages in um do lots of jokes about lazy workmen uh, but actually the reason they've stopped is they found something that that uh they think might be some uh ancient uh relic so um we get to the uh point in the story where uh, a student archaeologist comes and looks at the uh the thing that they found and says that yes it is uh, an ancient relic so they're going to have to stop work and that's where the 10 pages uh get us to there's some really nice uh stuff along the way there's this lovely phrase uh that felix uh uses to describe the roof the swooping roofs and it's such a nice phrase that it's repeated a few times and it's it is it's uh, i can hear swooping roofs <laughs> It's a lovely sort of thing being said. Um, the which, thing the architect wants, which is yeah. his vision for this thing. That's right. Mm. So, whereas, as far as everyone else concerned, uh, it's not a swooping roof. It looks like a walnut whip, uh, as everybody says. And even people who are asked who are supposed to say, oh, yes, it definitely looks like a swooping roof. They say, oh, no, that's, that's a walnut whip to me, uh, much to the annoyance of Felix. Um, so... There are these secondary characters who are very good. They keep the pace moving. They're a little bit one-dimensional for me, I think. Fair enough. Those characters. Um, and uh, although the one character who comes up at the end of the ten pages, who I liked a lot, even though she's hardly there, she's uh, she is the boss, uh, as far as I can tell, Tessa. And she, she is uh, the money, I guess. And um, so although she uh, is probably in class terms, she's more Felix, uh, but in... Um, head and heart terms she's more jeff really that's she's right the bottom line yeah so the bottom line is all that matters to her uh so that's nice a lot of very nice um conflict set up uh i'd say the the the, the um the logic of the architect being there the whole time is a little bit of a problem for me yeah, um would need a fix Another problem that I had was that the the student who says uh actually yes uh, this is 
this is definitely ancient Roman uh, burial site. Mm-hmm. Um, it's clear from uh, the, the the dialogue and the, the, the scene that he's he doesn't really know much, uh, and I suspect that. Um, so much rests on this that they would they would want to go to someone a bit more expert than this yes. nerdy student. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of doesn't quite. Yeah, yeah. A bit of a logic a, issue there. It, it's okay. It's easily fixable. I think it, what what you went for there was the uh, here's a funny student who doesn't know what he's talking about, which yeah. is perfectly fine. I but, think my logic, yeah. which I probably haven't explained such a long time since I've read this, obviously, I think it was that if they alerted someone who knew what they were talking about, then it would suddenly be on the radar and there'd be no way out of stopping work. So they needed someone who knew some stuff about it, but who wouldn't then go off and report it. So that's why... But yeah. that logic of that has been lost. So it right, might have been yeah. one of those things where you have exposition lines and you cut them because they're not funny. Yeah. And then you realise it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. <laughs> yeah. And I'm putting my TV executive's hat on here and uh, and, and not caring about the, the humour aspect of it, but just going, oh, hang on a minute. Hmm. Wouldn't they get a proper... Wouldn't Tony Robinson come in? And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yes, end of episode. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, though that that's the, the the downside. There was a little section as well. There's some jokes. Um, there was a, a joke about the Sydney Opera House, which then led to a sort of uh, a, f- a few jokes about uh, Australians and culture. Which, right. uh, having uh, spent ten years as a stand-up, I think I've seen too many. Uh, <laughs> People doing jokes about Australians and lack of culture. I did feel they were those jokes were a yeah, little bit kind could be of, up for uh, up for updating. Yeah, replacing uh, replacing yeah, as well. And the the only other problem that I had with it, and we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, in the, the next uh, podcast, which is about the, the the sort of the world that you create. And I did feel a little bit that the porter cabin is a is not the most exciting mm-hmm. uh, sit. And it's an audience sitcom. Obviously, you can have two or three other places, but this feels like this is where most of the activity is going to be happening. And it's it is by its nature a very basic room. Yeah. So it's it, you're going to have to find ways to make that funny and make that interesting. Yeah. And it, it is a, it is a it is a bit of a challenge that you set yourself. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a very good point, and it's one of those things where you think, oh, this is. It's a great location because it's a it's believable and b it's quite uncomfortable for them. So you could have an episode where it's really really cold mm. and there's no there's just nothing between them and the outside. But overall, it has a very you're right it has a very functional feel to it. And it doesn't it's it's not somewhere you'd want to spend an awful lot of time. Yeah. So therefore, you'd sort of need to find some way around that. Um, but uh, maybe that's why they never wanted to make it. Who well, knows? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? You never know. You never, you never know. know. Never say never. When the next hit uh, comes out, yeah. they'll, say, they'll say, and what else have you got for us, James? And then I'll whip that out. Yeah. You should say that. <laughs> Pensioner Ricky Tomlinson. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's probably too old for it now, unfortunately. Yeah, he's not yeah. He's not quite of a believable age uh, right. in that show anymore. Okay. That's the 10-page challenge. If you would like us to talk about your sitcom first 10 pages, then uh, then send it to us at sits... No, send the suits at... I will say the at, and then get the Sitcom geeks. Sitcom geeks at gmail.com. Sitcom geeks at gmail.com. And we'll maybe get around to having a look at it. We've been sent quite a few, so we're slowly working our way through those. 
and um, thank you to those who've sent them and uh, do bear that in mind look on our Facebook page and you'll click through to where you can how you can submit it um, there are a few sort of rules as it were mm. and PDF please PDF please uh, please just send us 10 pages don't send us the whole thing and we really aren't going to steal your idea etc so uh, on to the main business of the podcast which is doing it yourself addressing the question should I make a YouTube video and this is something that many writers would have thought about and thinking well I don't need to uh, ask permission to make my show that they don't want to make anymore <laughs> um, I could make it myself and we sometimes read of stories of YouTube you know things going viral and things going round and famous YouTube stars uh, who have come through like Zoella or that kind of stuff yeah. and thinking well I could do that and the question is whether one should or not and I would say not. You would, yes. <laughs> uh, and um, I'm going to talk about a little bit about why I think that's the case and uh, Dave has a slightly different perspective which yep. was opposed to my perspective and is now slightly closer. Yeah, I would have said uh, no, it's worth a try and then I tried it <laughs> and, and now I would say hmm, uh, what was it? Looking back five years now, since I did since I did it, nearly five years, was it worth it? Um, probably on balance, no. But there are more caveats to come. But yes. uh, yeah, at the moment, my feeling is it's probably not a great idea. Um, and so that seems very negative, doesn't it? So let me let let us give our reasons, and um, you can uh, feel free to comment on our YouTube on our, on our YouTube page. We don't have one on our Facebook page or whatever it is you like. So just to say, they, I get the allure of YouTube because it, it beckons all of us uh, like a shiny casino and we hear success stories of people getting millions and millions of hits and that sort of stuff. And we think, oh, I'd like some of that, please. There's the mixture of, oh, maybe I could make some money out of it and also I'll get noticed and it'll get turned into a sitcom or I'll get some work out of it. And the beauty of it is the internet seems democratic there's nothing to stop your video getting 15 million hits and so they you know once you put it up there it's up there and nobody can take that away from you um so there's the temptation but the but here are there are there are lots of downsides really um because even if you've made a really good 3 minute video which is way harder to do than you might think uh, there's no guarantee that it will actually lead to the kind of work you'd actually like to do um, it might lead to other things, so I'm never going to say never do it. I would just say <laughs> think hard before actually going uh, to make your video. Um, because on top of everything else, I think making a YouTube video, especially of a sitcom idea that you've had, will actually hinder you and your idea rather than help it. And I've been at panels where producers at Q&A say things like, well, if you can make a little taster for your sitcom, then, you know, then why not do that? And I think that's a I think that's bad advice um, because turning your idea into an online video will immediately inhibit the scope of your vision. It will. It's unlikely that you have the contacts and the expertise to execute it really well. And actually, the script should do all the talking for you. It may be that people are not as good at reading scripts as they used to be, perhaps. But actually. Uh, a script is still worth an awful lot and turning a little bit into a video is I don't think something that's necessarily going to uh, enhance uh, your idea mm -hmm. so 
you know, unless you have deep pockets or stunning contacts, um, you'll be unlikely to make something so good that it will sell your idea um, because television is expensive to make. And unless you have a particularly brilliantly cheap to film idea where it's just one person, like you could have done Marion and Jeff, couldn't you? You could do, you could have done just, that on yeah, an iPhone, yeah. basically. I think, yeah. I mean, I did it, as I say, this was nearly four or five years ago. And, you know, which in, in technology terms is, you know, 25 lifetimes ago. And the technology now is such that you really can just go out and, and do it on your phone and, and edit it on your phone and, 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 you know, kind of really, really do it all yourself. Um, I did have the advantages that a lot of you won't have. I know a lot of people um, who would be happy to do it. Um, actually, one other thing that has changed now, I did get a few friends, uh, I pulled in favours from friends, and they did it for free. And I would, I've decided now that I'm not asking people to do anything for free anymore, because um, there are too many people out there asking you to do things for free. Uh, and I, I no longer want to be considered someone who's in that group. Yeah, so yeah, I no, did I pay people who were not well-known and people who, who were working writers. I, I did pay the writers and some of the performers some money. Um, and I would, I would always do that now. Um, but I think you might find that's, uh, that, that might, put you off wanting to do it but um the idea came about it actually was james carey's fault to to some extent because we were <laughs> we were having an somehow argument. this is my fault yes, interesting do go yes on. we were having an argument on twitter as people do not one of those arguments where one of us was worse than hitler um but, uh, <laughs> not, not on that occasion yeah, anyway on that particular occasion this was about uh about the discussion that is often had in the comedy world, uh, which is, uh, could we ever, isn't the Daily Show brilliant in America? Could we ever do the Daily Show in Britain? No, we can't because blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I'd always thought, yes, we can. We didn't, we can't necessarily do something with a man at a desk and an audience and all that, but we could probably make something that's a little bit like a sort of, uh, five minute, uh, five minute daily show with some sketches and a little bit of stand up thrown in and some, a few little comedy lines from Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so this was what I formed in my head. This idea was to make five, uh, pilots. And I did that in May of 2011 and, um, they were sort of went really well and I sort of did them and they, I thought, well, they're not good, but I think I know how to do them better. So I did another five, six months later, uh, which were also, they were okay, but you know, that, that's really all they were. They certainly weren't good enough to, uh, turn into sort of TV pilots. So the main thing they made me realize, well, actually, if you are going to do this, they were about sort of seven or eight minutes long. Uh, I thought yeah, it's got to be three minutes, absolutely, uh, three minutes maximum. But, um, it was a very useful, thing for me when I did it and it did make me think actually yes you could possibly make a daily topical show in this country mm -hmm. but I'm not going to be the one who's going <laughs> to do it now I've learned now and certainly like, not on YouTube not on YouTube no but um that that was that was me and you know James and I we both come from uh very much from a kind of radio background you know we start we both uh are writing very yeah. much started in, uh, uh, probably with sort of live and then going to radio and then TV. Um, whereas I guess anyone who's sort of 30 or under, you know, you kind of, 
your 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 language you speak the language of youtube in the way that we probably sort of speak the language of radio so you're probably uh you could probably it, it comes more naturally i would think probably to to it would certainly come naturally to to my kids than it than it does to me the idea of making a youtube video yes. rather than a, a, a podcast but um it was a hell of a lot of work and even though i didn't spend a lot of money it was uh, i spent a lot of time that I wasn't earning money elsewhere. Mm. So it was actually uh, financially not a great move on my part. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so although it's one of those things where you're, you're sort of, you're, you're glad you did it, would you have done it if you'd known? Maybe not. Mm. It's, it is, uh, that, that's I did why... actually, in fact, six months ago, that six months back, it would be about a year ago now, I did actually then make, I made a three-minute video and I did it, um, that I actually did it in real time in that I thought, right, I'm going to make a topical video. I'm not going to do any sort of pre-work on it. I'm just going to do it on, on the day. I'm going to come up with ideas. And I had, uh, I had a guy called Marek Lawad, who's a very funny, uh, actor, comedy actor, who also bears a striking resemblance to Boris Johnson right. and has made quite a few videos as Boris Johnson walking around London. So I wrote a thing for him. Uh, and that was the only thing that I'd sort of written ahead of time. And the rest was all sort of jokes and a song that I came up with that I, and I put the song together. It was fairly straightforward. So I did a three minute, uh, video, which was okay again, but, uh, I haven't done anything with it since. So that was a year ago. Mm. Um, and that's partly because I haven't just, just haven't, uh, got the time to sort of go around that's the other thing once you've made it you then have to go and sort of find people who would be interested in seeing it mm. uh, and it's all very well having a taster uh, which I did but unless you get it to the right person and the right person thinks wow that's fantastic um, then there's not much point in having it really and I think um, so it is it is a lot of work and you need to be very careful therefore about what you're trying to get out of it I mean, the reason it's so much work is, I would call it, there is this trinity of sound, vision, and content, mm -hmm. where which all need to be firing. They all need to join up. And that's why TV tends to involve 15, 20, 30 people, because it's not easy to get them all to line up properly. And there are plenty of YouTube videos that look great. It's a good idea, but you can't hear anything. There are other YouTube videos that sound fine, um, they look really rubbish, and it's actually quite a good idea, but it looks rubbish. There are other ones which are brilliantly produced and sound brilliant and look great, but there's just no point to them. <laughs> so, I mean, there are so few examples um, where people get all three of those right from a standing start, um, and all the examples I can think of um, are people who are actually already in the industry a bit and doing stuff and know people. So to do that as an outsider, I think, is extremely hard. Again, never say never. You might be the next Adam and Joe who can create something in your bedroom that looks amazing, and that's great. Um, if, in particular, that is the thing that sells your idea, part of the charm of made-it-in-your-bedroom idea is that it's made in your bedroom, and that's great. But if you've got an idea which really needs to be set on a... Um, uh, you know, on a on a frigate from uh, seventeen ninety eight, um, then you're going to struggle uh, to make a, a a YouTube video of that. And unfortunately, whatever you come up with, you are competing with other videos on YouTube, which are often ripped from movies and produced by record companies. 
and you're competing with iPlayer and Netflix and porn. And <laughs> so in one sense, the audience who are watching it sort of don't care that you didn't have any money. It's just going to look rubbish. Mm. Um, so I know this sounds like I'm, I'm staging an intervention on you, listener. Please, <laughs> please don't let me think that. Don't, don't think that. All I'm doing is making sure that you've really thought hard um, about what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it. I, I would add to that um, that the best parts of the, um, the, the the shows that I made, the ten shows I made, were the bits that were not the narrative type thing. And if you want to make a sitcom, you want to have scenes and, and, and actors and things. I had... Um, I had kind of single pieces to camera, monologues to camera, and various people um, doing monologues, people like Mark Thomas Mm. and Marcus Brickstock doing monologues to camera. Those worked well. Um, Little uh, bit graphics, graphic quick jokes, those sort of things worked well. And the things that just did not work at all were sketches, and they were great sketches. They were well written. They were written by the top sketch writers, uh, they had great actors in them, uh, really good, you know, people that had people like sort of you and Macintosh, you know, Keith mm. from The Office, uh, Andy Linden, um, a great sitcom actor, of course, and, um, Rachel Stubbings and people, and they were all, they're all really good actors, and I had a great cameraman, he's really good, knew about lighting and filming and everything. And it just, that stuff just took ages to film. It took forever to edit. And then it just didn't look as good. Every time a sketch came on, it just kind of it sapped the energy mm. out of the, the video. And that's, you know, that's the, the, the bit that's the really hard bit is to do good narrative yeah. on, on uh, YouTube. Which is why I would say the exception to, to the rule really is if you are a writer performer where you and your performance are integral then maybe a youtube video is something to be thinking about if you've got a good format that you can shoot um for next to nothing so but whereas i would say if you're a writer and you're not a performer um i would i would really think hard about spending a lot of time on this which is what it will take and instead think about spending a lot of time on a script because actually scripts are pretty democratic as well. And the beauty, although anyone can put a clip up on YouTube, the other thing is anyone can write a script. And as I point out on my blog on a couple of occasions, your script and Richard Curtis's script look exactly the same in terms of they're just words on a piece of paper. You don't need special access or any special code. There's not some secret that we all know about that we're not telling you. It's just you just need a you just need to throw out a funny script laid out properly with characters talking and doing stuff and all that kind of business. So, and if you write a really really good script, I genuinely do believe it might not get commissioned in the end, but it will be noticed and you will get work, you will get meetings, you will start to feel like you're getting somewhere. So, I would. Um, I would argue that your time is better spent if you're just a writer, as it were, rather than the writer-performer, uh, to spend time on scripts and send those out and try to get meetings based on scripts rather than spending a whole summer on a YouTube video. And at the end, you've got three minutes, and it's and it's okay, um, but it's just it's it's and it gets eight thousand views. Um, you know, I wish. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, eight thousand views after you've tried for weeks and weeks and weeks to get as many people to look at it as possible, 
and you know eventually four years later it's on 9,000 views and you're starting yeah. to wonder whether that was really all worth how well. many times your relatives can click on there again yes. before they get very bored uh, exactly I would I mean again I would say that you know for for a writer it, that, that, that there are probably easier ways of, of, of learning uh, the process but it is one way of of learning um, what works for you as a writer and what doesn't and if you can get together with a group of performers I mean there are lots and lots of performers out there and they will work uh, they would they're, they're most actors are not working most of the time. Including... <gasps> Don't say that. <laughs> it's hard to believe. It's actually it? true. Um, and um, you know, even the most successful ones. And so they they're usually willing to do this kind of thing. And if you know somebody who I was very lucky to know, this guy who is just a brilliant um, director and uh, cameraman and editor rolled into one, um, and had boundless energy as well. Also uh, could do backflips which was very useful <laughs> um, in comedy terms. Great. Um, so he was, a, he was a young gymnast in the England uh, gym, gymnastics team. Um, and, you know, if, if, if you know somebody, if you're lucky enough to know someone like that, that's, that's fantastic. Um, but, but even then you will find um, what you write and what's in your head and then what, what gets made um, is a different thing. You know, you've got an idea and and um, suddenly you find, ah, oh, well, actually, we can't film that line because um, there's something happening, in the, 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 there's something in the room that means you can't stand in that place in the room. So you have to you have to kind of think on your feet and come up with a way, oh, well, in that case, well, we'll have to say it like this. Oh, we've run out of film now. Okay, well, we'll have to edit it in, around this way. So you'll you'll kind of learn the sort of things that, that writers learn when they start to get their work made and they, they start to get a little bit involved in the uh, actual process of making stuff, mm. although we tend to be uh, kept at arm's length. But, but uh, writers are on set often and um, they, they're be required to to do something to change a line or to mm. to to change something to do with a character how they're mm. how they're delivering the line or whatever so um it, it's useful from that point of view of knowing that this isn't just the thing that's going to stay go from your head onto mm. a piece of paper and that's it it's written yeah. in stone so you there's stuff you can get out of it if you do decide you want to do it then that's great because you will learn stuff undoubtedly in the making of it and you, you, know, you may end up having a good time. You may actually discover that you're more interested in the process of making it than you are in the idea or the writing of it, in which mm. case, congratulations, you're a producer or you're uh, a cameraman or you're a director or you're, you know, you're not a writer, in which case that's saved you an awful lot of time and bother. So there are definitely upsides to making uh, a YouTube video. Um, just to wrap this up, the other thing to say on a more positive note is there are other ways of um, getting your comedy writing out there and also learning your craft as you do it, which is every bit as important, if not more so, than making YouTube videos. So, um, as this podcast would suggest, it's pretty easy to knock out a podcast. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but you can actually make one that sounds really good as well. Um, there, and so the opportunity costs are, are much lower to make a podcast because you can actually make something almost radio quality for almost no money, if no money at all. And that's not to say that Radio 4 will ring you up and want to broadcast it, but you're, you're able to produce a really high quality product where the, the lack of production doesn't get in the way of the idea. 
I, can I just say there's one exception uh, to this, which is that if you have an idea for a sitcom that um, someone is prepared to pay you money to make, which is not as mad as it sounds. Uh, and the example that I'm thinking of is a show called Meet the Adabanjos, which is now into its third series. Mm-hmm. This uh, is a show that's made in Britain by British Nigerians who saw a market for a Nigerian sitcom that would uh, play well to mm-hmm. Nigerians around the world. And so they were able to convince mm-hmm. uh, enough business people to put some money into it uh to make this sitcom and um which uh ironically that they actually they actually went to a nigerian businessman and yeah. said i've got an idea rather than it being uh yeah, the right. other way around but also so, i mean that and that works particularly well because uh nollywood i believe they call um the filmmaking industry in nigeria oh yeah, yeah. they have a heritage of paying for content uh, VHSs until I think quite recently people would buy and sell them mm. and that was just a normal thing to do so actually creating content for that market also made sense so within the, the Nigerian community as it were there is mm. a, that that idea made sense for them so they kind of knew that they would get some money for it yeah um but they, they, I don't think they've stuck, they, I think you can find bits of it on YouTube, but the YouTube is advertising the fact that you can buy this yeah. sitcom. Right. Um, I think. But it's certainly, I mean, I, I met them during the making of series one and very much got the idea that they, they will, they will carry on making it as long as there's money to make it. And I know that they're on series three now. I haven't spoken to them for a while. So, so they are obviously, you know, they only make it when there's enough money to make it. So, um, so the idea is obviously working mm. as a business plan. Yeah. And if you've got an idea that, that, that could work in that way, something that you could sell around the world, for instance, mm. or that, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a group who would be prepared to pay to watch it. Yeah. Uh, and it's a big enough group. Um, to uh, for you to be able to afford to make the show, then that that's the way. But your kind Absolutely. of your approach that way round is is um, the is the business side first, and yeah. then then you have to come to us yes. and say, "Ah, oh, right now, how do I write? How do I write a sitcom?" So, so there's so there's that um, there's the, the, you know there's there's that way. Going back to the podcast thing, there's a podcast called uh, the beef and dairy podcast oh, yes. or something which i've just started yeah. listening to ben which Partridge. presumably didn't cost much money to make but it's a really nice short funny yeah quite bizarre mm-hmm. uh show which i really enjoyed um the alternative you know, there's also like the bugle and that kind of stuff i mean the mm. bugle stopped now but there are alternatives to to those sorts of things um then there's also the written form as well like the onion um or there's the family examiner um, from going back, these you know, Family Examiner's not running anymore, but those guys, Jason and Joel, uh, mm-hmm. who did the Family Examiner with some of their friends and relatives, really funny, and eventually they got noticed and were writing other things, and now they're writing with Charlie Brooker and have just done those Ladybird books that are mm. numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 in the <laughs> hardback top non-fiction. Top 6, yes, yeah. top 6 fiction. Or so um, so mm. there were just ways of... Getting put, getting your stuff out there, which don't involve having to make uh, TV, mm. and then obviously uh, there's Radio Four Open Door Policy, there's News Jack, and that mm. kind of thing, which uh, we've I'm sure we've talked about yeah. before. I do think that as things stands, that the, the executives who are in charge of uh, our futures, really, uh, radio and TV people, are still 
people like me and James are kind of our, our generation. They are still the people who came from radio, like people like Phil mm. Clark, who's head of Channel 4, who's a radio producer, Armando Yanucci, etc. Lots and lots of them. Um, but probably in five years' time, all the TV execs will be people who grew up with YouTube, and they are probably the people who will be more uh, receptive to mm. to new uh, comedy on screen as opposed to uh, radio. So, yeah. so who knows? What do we know? Um, and the last thing is to say that there are alternatives, which would be going to do some live comedy at Edinburgh yeah. instead, where you again might not get as much coverage or success as you might like in the first instance, but you'll be meeting loads of people who are doing similar kinds of things and you, yeah. you start to be part of the mix but we'll, we'll talk that's about that that's a whole separate episode which we'll that's be doing probably about a month from now yes yeah, so hopefully yeah. we'll have one of those for you as uh, the deadline for doing an Edinburgh show rapidly approaches but we should stop now because we've been burbling for long enough uh, you can like us on Facebook ask us questions there you can leave comments for us on iTunes and uh, you can buy our books. Uh, Dave has written an excellent book called How to Be Averagely Successful at Comedy. Yes, thank you. And your uh, book, James's book, is called Writing That Sitcom. That's right. And you can look at that on my blog, which is sitcomgeek.blogspot.com. And Dave's, no, Dave's uh, oh, uh, blog is... DaveCohen.org.uk. I forgot UK. myself for That's a moment right. there. Um, thank you very much to the British Comedy Guide, who host our podcast. We're very grateful to them. And until next time, cheerio.